today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And you know that the influence of the Christian community is getting less and less. And I believe that as the influence of the Christian community becomes less and less, more and more Christians are afraid to take stands for righteousness. Because right now, if you take a stand for righteousness, they'll come take your business away. Then they'll fine you for $135,000. Then they'll put a gag order on you. So there are righteous people here within the land. I know that. Because otherwise, we would totally be gone. Christian influence in our country is becoming less and less. Today, Christians are largely looked down upon. In today's message, Pastor David talks about how standing for righteousness today can cause you to lose your business. People who want to stand for righteousness are decreasing because they don't want their businesses threatened. We are living in a country that is increasingly anti-Christian. Still, we can stand knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Victory is Ours, But the Battle Never Ends. Joshua, as the children of Israel began their conquest into the land of Canaan, the military strategy was actually absolutely phenomenally great when you think about how they went into the land of Canaan. Remember, they entered in there by Jericho, and if we had a map of Israel, you would see that Jericho geographically is is right near the center as far as the north and south of Israel is. Jericho is a, a great place to go into. Brilliant as far as the uh, the military plan, but the fact is it, it wasn't Joshua that got the credit for that. That was God's doing. God directed them at that time and at that place. As a matter of fact, any of the brilliant stuff we do in our lives, God gets the credit. Amen? And the stuff that gets screwed up, that's usually the ones that I went on my own. But God is the one who, again, will direct our lives when we are completely submitted to Him, wholly obedient to Him, and, again, available to him, And when I say available, it is that understanding that within our life that the, we're keeping the garbage cleared. Uh, we're not letting it pile up. We're continually confessing to the Lord those areas where we fail, and every one of us fail. But as we confess to the Lord, as we repent, as we seek the Lord in our lives, then we become available. It's not just, hey, here, use me, use me. And yet the Lord looks at us and we're full of uh, garbage and just putridness and stuff. You know, I don't want you to represent me. I don't mind the fact that you're, you know, you're broken and chipped and stained, but don't come 
with a pile of garbage first. That's why it's important for you and I to live lives of repentance, live lives of confession, and again, total dependence upon the Lord. You look as Joshua and the army of Israel came into that land, coming in, as I said, right into, you know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. What a great place to go right there. And as the Lord gave them victory in Jericho, it actually established a couple of different things. Number one, they knocked out probably the biggest, most formidable foe in that area. Jericho, that great walled city, Jericho with mighty men of war, and yet the children of Israel were able to go and without uh, even raising a sword, the Lord brought those walls down so that then they could go in and take that city. That's the first thing. They took that formidable foe and knocked them out of the way. The second thing that it did is it put fear and trembling in all of the area around them. All these other cities. Remember, that's why the Gibeonites came and they, in their disguise and their deceit, came and made a treaty with the armies of of Israel saying, oh no, we're from far, far away. Why? Because they were afraid. They were, even though we find out that the Gibeonites, they were mighty men of war. And yet they knew, hey, you know, we're, we're going to make a deal with these guys. We're, it'd be foolish for us not to. Last week we saw in chapter 10 how Israel had moved into that southern region. They came against that confederation of five different kings. They defeated them. We saw how God worked in supernatural ways to be able to bring about that victory. That southern region is now stabilized. The southern enemy is now defeated. But God's not finished yet, and neither is Joshua and the army of Israel. So here in chapter 11, we're now going to go into the record of of the defeat of uh, the kings and the cities of the northern region. And then chapter 12, it kind of gives us a a recap of all of the kingdoms that had been taken, both uh, those on the eastern side of the Jordan uh, under Moses' leadership, as well as everything on the western side of the Jordan under Joshua's leadership. And a couple of things that I want you to remember as we go through all of this. Number one, these enemies, these cities, these people, they were real. They were real people, real battles, real flesh and blood, real lives were, again, lost in the midst of this. These are real people who had lived in that region for literally centuries. Generation after generation of these people, though, continued on in a downward spiral. The morally and everything, in their actions and their thoughts, their worship, everything. The people in the land of Canaan, real people who continued to digress spiritually and in every way. That brings me to the second point I want you to remember. It's the wickedness of these people that had for such a long time been such a stench into the nostrils of God. And God, again, they had revealed himself even during the time of Abraham. The the message and the truth of God had been there. 
But they not only turned away from any knowledge of God that they would have received during the time of Abraham, but they moved into every type of pagan worship that was available. One of the things we know about Israel, that land right there, even in these early days, the trade routes from the north down to the south, from Egypt on up into Asia, went right through, right through Israel. And they become a collection of all of the different things that move from Egypt to Asia, from Asia down into Egypt. And we see that in all of the pagan worship that they brought into them. They'd gone so far as to incorporate child sacrifice and sexual perversion in the worship services of these pagan gods. So that's how wicked, that's how, again, the stench that went up to God. The third thing I want you to understand God's judgment had already been pronounced on these people, and he spoke specifically against their sin in Leviticus chapter 18 and in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Hopefully, if we have a moment of time, we'll look at those here in just a little bit. God's judgment had already been placed, already been declared on them. And then fourthly, now it was time for that judgment of God to come upon these people. And it was coming in the form of Joshua and the army of Israel. So they're coming in there, wiping out everybody. It was a fulfillment of, again, the condemnation that was already there that God had already placed on these people. In these next couple of chapters, chapter 11 and 12, we're going to read the names of kings. We're going to read the, the, the primary names of some of the cities in these regions. Again, for most of these kings, there's not much else known about them. We don't read anything else about them in all of Scripture, nor even historically do we find out much. As, as we've shared in the past, most of these were city-states. They were city kingdoms. It'd be like, you know, the, the, the king of Casa Grande and uh, the king of Arizona City and the king of Eloy and the king of Stanfield, you know, and, and one or two of them are going to be, remain known, but the others, they just lost a place in history and no more do we read anything about it. Usually those that encompassed a larger city, they were surrounded by smaller cities too that they controlled. And some of those names we find out not only, uh, in other places in the word, but also, uh, historically, archaeologically. The majority of all of these were by no means any kind of major empires that we think of today. Today, when we think of kings, we think, oh, the king, you know, like the king of England, the king of Belgium, the king of Sweden, you know, these kinds of huge kingdoms. But that's not what was going on here. There are a couple that will stand out, but by and large, not very many of them. It's also interesting to note that for some of these, the leadership of that area had been passed down generation to generation. And some of them, uh, these cities, had been around uh, for as long as mankind uh, has records. Jericho was one of those. But now as the judgment of God was coming in and coming upon these people, their names and their kingdoms, for many of them, they're going to vanish out of the pages of history. They're not even going to show up as an also-ran. They couldn't even say, hey, I could have been a contender. No, they weren't. They, they were big in their own eyes. They were big at their time, at their place. But in the grand scheme of things, they're nothing. But years 
After years of warning, after years of opportunity, I believe for these people to repent and to turn. Once that judgment of God comes on the people, once the judgment of God comes on on a nation, there was very little, if any, of the former glory that they would have ever had will ever return. And I think about that in our nation. I think about that in our nation as we uh, go further and further away from God, as we continue to spiral further and further down, and the stench of some of the directions and the attitudes and the actions of our nation going up before God. Oh, that our, our nation, that our nation would wake up before that severe judgment of God comes on us, removing any kind of semblance of our founding or of the past honor that we've had as a nation. Before we really get into Joshua chapter 11 and 12, and that's where we will be. Take your Bible, turn further to the left, if you would. Go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 18. Leviticus 18. This is the condemnation that God put on the people of Canaan. It said, for too long I put up with it, now we're going to destroy it. When you go in, wipe them all out. I'm going to read through uh, Leviticus chapter 18. It's about 30... Uh, 31 verses, 30 verses. I'll try not to uh, expound upon too much of it. There's going to be some of it, though, that might catch our attention as we read it. But I want you to listen to it, and listening to it in two ways. Number one, the reality of what was taking place in the land of Canaan, and all these little kingdoms, all these little people, all their pagan worship that God was now sending the people of Israel in to wipe them out and to do away with it. Think about it on that line. But the second thing I want you to think about is how close are we as a nation to running parallel to what's being listed here? Leviticus chapter 18. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwell, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now none of you shall approach anyone who is near kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. You understand what they're speaking there. That's uh, having a sexual relationship with anybody of close relation to you. And so that's the direction that he's going here. The nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother, you shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is near kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, 
You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Man, he's like trying to cover every possible conceivable base of relationship. You you would think, well, why didn't you just stop and say, hey, don't have sexual relationships with any of your close kin, okay? But he's spelling it out. There's no doubt about what he's saying here. He's making it as clear as possible. He goes on, verse 19, also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. What is this? That's the pagan god that, again, they were doing child sacrifices, this huge statue without lying arms like this. That would, They would build a huge fire underneath it. And they would literally place babies on top of those arms as a sacrifice to Molech. He goes on, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal. You defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations, the men of the land, this land of Canaan where they're going, the men of the land have done and who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you do not defile yourself by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, if that wasn't enough, go off to the right a little bit to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're not going to take nearly as many verses, but a couple of things I just want to draw your attention to. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to begin down in verse 9. So if you're Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or meditation, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. 
For all who do these things are an abomination of the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispose, listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Look at our nation. I think, again, over, over the last uh, however many years, uh, back in, uh, what was it, 65, Roe versus Wade, we, we've been murdering uh, a million babies a year uh, because of legalized abortion. And now, again, your, your head would have to be in the sand to have missed all the stuff that's going through Planned Parenthood, the harvesting of babies' organs to sell on the market. Uh, this stuff, again, has, has been financed by our government, financed by a huge amount of major corporations in our nation that have helped finance Planned Parenthood. Uh, again, these abortion factories that they have, and that continues to go on. We look at the rise, again, of the homosexual agenda within our nation, and we see, again, the very things that God says, this is what these people are doing. You don't do that because I'm going to destroy those people, and I'm going to bless you when you go in the land. So don't start doing that when you go into the land. And every other kind of perversion that they were doing, and some of it they were even doing in the form of worship. And then we get to this, these spiritists, these conjuring up of spells, these that, that call upon the dead. I, I look at these things and I think, man, all these things that God said he was going to destroy the people of Canaan, totally wipe them out completely. And how much we are involved in these things as a nation. Is the grace of God on us? Oh, if it wasn't, we would be totally wiped out by now. The grace of God is still here. Why? I believe it's because there are people that are praying. There are people that are praying that are desiring to live righteous and godly lives. There are people who are desiring to see the glory of God in our nation. But beloved, how many does it take? Remember Abraham's argument with the, with the messengers of God when they came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, would you destroy it for 50 people? No, we won't destroy it for 50. But Abraham probably knew, hey, you know, there's probably not even 50. And so he kept bargaining down, kept bargaining down. Because he knew there wasn't that many. How many within our nation today? You know, you can look at all kinds of Pew research and uh, all these kinds of things, these people that take these censuses and things and say, well, how many believers are there in the United States? How many uh, evangelical Christians? How many who say that they are, you know, Christian or they, they say that they're religious? And the numbers are all over the map. They're all over the map. I, I don't look at the numbers... I look at the fruit. I look at the results of what's going on in our nation and in our communities. And you know that the influence of the Christian community is getting less and less. And I believe that as the influence of the Christian community becomes less and less, more and more Christians are afraid to take stands for righteousness. Because right now, if you take a stand for righteousness, they'll come take your business away. Then they'll fine you for $135,000. Then they'll put a gag order on you. So there are righteous people here within the land. I know that, because otherwise we would totally be gone. But when we look back at Canaan, we understand that there were no righteous, that that entire land had just literally become void of God. How many generations would it take 
for us as a nation to become that way. I think only one more. I've seen so much change just in my 62 years. Not that we were holy and righteous back in the 50s. I know that we weren't. But it was a whole lot different there. And there was a whole lot more, again, I think people that were just doing the right things and trying to honor God. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you were looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.